Reds Nation, what is happening? Welcome to the Reds Pulse. My name is Brent Perlman. I am your host here on the Reds Pulse, where we'll talk everything Reds baseball today. We'll talk about tomorrow and that glorious future that lies ahead for this beautiful, beautiful organization. I am presented to you by the Pulse Podcast Network. Anything from movie podcast to lifestyle podcast, and also a ton of sports teams. We're a small company, but we're growing quickly. Uh, so check us out. You can download the app as of the moment I'm recording this. I am not on the app, uh, but you can also still always find me on Anchor FM. But very soon, if not later today, I will be on the app. So check us out. And my final reminder I like to remind everybody you know, the reminder I like to remind, that's very important, is I am just a fan. I am not an expert. I don't have any analytic degrees. I didn't play college baseball. I played baseball my whole life until that point. I love it. I watch everything Reds. Um, but unfortunately, I am not an expert. Although, weirdly, I have to say, something happens uh, biologically where when I gamble on sports, I then become an expert. And it, what happens is, just don't worry about it. Uh, it's, it's not really important here on this podcast, but just know I am simply a fan. So today, what will we talk about? We'll get into David Bell. Who is he? Um, that was probably one of the bigger things that happened to the Reds in the offseason was getting their new manager, who uh, I think win, lose, or unfortunately not draw in baseball. Win, lose, or the 18th inning will be with David Bell here I would say at least three, four years minimum. Minimum. Um, so who is he? Let's get to know him a little bit. Uh, we'll do my top three. Today we'll do pitches. So it could be fastball, changeup, curveball, slant. It could be any of that, cutter, whatever whatever uh, I might find as my top three favorite pitches. Um, and I would obviously argue most efficient pitches. But uh, I get, as I said, I'm not an expert. And then we'll get into kind of what we see here for 2019 with the Reds, getting into some of the new guys and their stats, um, getting into you know some of the guys who've been here, and um, you know hopefully we can uh, improve that pitching staff. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what's going on around baseball, and then uh, I'll tell you about what we're going to get into next week. Um, so anyway, to get us started, I'll, I'll get into kind of my David Bell spiel here. Uh, you know, first off the bat is. I would say David Bell has one heck of a resume. I mean, I am not going to be able to cover all the things that encompass David Bell to be the manager. Um, and I have to say, when I just do the simple prep uh, for my show, um, it, you kind of have to take a step back and say, you know, some of the stuff uh, with him, David Bell, whether it's the player or, the, or um, you know, different things with him as a manager, you know, they're not the most impressive things. But when you look at a resume that's literally with valuable information 10 pages deep, at some point you got to take a step back and say, wow, you know, this is an impressive guy. And that's just on paper. Um, you know, the things that you've heard, you know, all the time, and we'll start, uh, for David Bell, you know, this story really begins down, down the road in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, that's where Gu his grandfather, Gus Bell, uh, was born. Um, he played in the 1950s, uh, so I clearly am very familiar with him and could tell you everything about him. But um, he spent nine of his 15 years 
uh, in Cincinnati. He was a four-time All-Star in that time um, and currently resides in the Reds Hall of Fame. So um, that's kind of where this David Bell story starts. Um, was all with Gus Bell um, back in the 50s. Um, and then, obviously, as you might know, uh, he had a, a beautiful son named Buddy Bell, uh, who also somehow played in the major leagues. Uh, he was a third baseman in the 70s, 80s. Um, he played three of his 16 years in Cincinnati. Um, so some of his good years, but... Um, Obviously, he had some great years other places. Five-time All-Star. Excuse me, he played three of 18 years. Hopefully, I said that. But he's a five-time All-Star, six gold gloves um, on top of his playing career. Uh, he managed the Tigers, the Rockies, the Royals. Um, unfortunately, he was never above 500 with those teams, Buddy Bell. But, you know, you get three chances. Um, you're doing something right. And I, I didn't look up the the – Years that those teams had um, individually and the players and stuff, but um, never got above 500, but obviously had a good name, built a good name for himself um, before he, he kind of had to step away there. Uh, but one thing that was interesting when you look at Buddy Bell and Gus Bell, uh, David Bell's father and grandfather, is that <laughs> Buddy Bell had 201 home runs and batted 279. His father hit 206 home runs, but batted 281. What I'm trying to say here is their difference in career batting average was .002 points. And their difference in career home runs, 5. I mean, that's pretty darn cool, if you ask me, that they were that close. And not only were they that close, for those uh, eras... That's a ton of home runs, and obviously, as, as I'm, hopefully you would know, batting 280 for a career ain't bad at all. So, you know, both of these guys, Gus Bell and Buddy Bell, in their heyday were, you know, two heck of a ball players. Um, and that's where it all started at Moeller High School for David Bell. That's right, born and raised, went to Moeller High School. Um, he bounced around the league as a player, though. You know, he went to the Indians, the Cardinals, the Mariners, the Giants, the Phillies, the Brewers. As a player, um, you know, the Reds were never in that that running. They, they never had David Bell. He never played for the Reds. Um, he obviously, growing up um, with his father in Cincinnati and his grandfather being a legend for the Reds, he was around Cincinnati baseball but never played in that uniform. Um, and when you look at David Bell's numbers as a hitter, you know, not the most impressing. You know, he's, he's not going to make the Hall of Fame as a, as a player. Uh, he hit 257. Um, you know, his, his numbers, and, and you, when you go to David Bell's era, one thing I will say for him, when you go to his era, you obviously have to take into consideration the steroid era and those numbers that pretty much are just inflated around the league. I'm not accusing the league of being on steroids, but I'm accusing the league of being on steroids. The league was just at a much higher rate. You know, got, averages were up, home runs were up, and that was mostly in the obviously the mid to late '90s and early 2000s. Um, and what's kind of interesting with David Bell is that is when his numbers got better, 
But they didn't get better because of steroids. You can look at the numbers and see that he wasn't. I mean, I think it, I, when I was looking at it, I think the most home runs he ever hit uh, in a season was 21. So the guy at even in his peak, um, you know, he wasn't hitting bomb. You know, he just he wasn't that guy, and that's why he ended up getting uh, his final contract with Philadelphia, um, which is why some of the Philly fans obviously love him and care for him um, as as an old ball player, but. Not their favorite, because in those days, that $17 million was a good amount of money. He was their everyday third baseman and really couldn't bat above, um, you know, really couldn't get above 235, 240. Um, although his career numbers did average up about 257 when he was with the Indians and the Cardinals, even with the Giants in that World Series run, which I'll get into here in a moment. But in those, I mean, overall, he really didn't have a terrible career one of the more impressive things is two things I'll get into one just because I love it and it's cool but two uh, you know one other valuable point is he did bat 282 in the postseason uh, you know he's just below a 300 hitter in the postseason and as everyone should know in the postseason your numbers they don't just stay the same or stay around the same they should take a dip um, they, they should because people are dialed in they have a better scouting report um, more pressure, so many different things. I mean, his average career versus his postseason, uh, you know, was basically 25, 30 points higher. Um, so that's impressive. And then the second thing I wanted to get into, which is really more important to the enjoyment of this podcast, if you want to know who David Bell is and you're saying to yourself, I don't care about all this information, it doesn't matter to me, you want to know who David Bell is, go to YouTube, go to 2002 World Series, and look at J.T. Snow lifting Darren Baker, Dusty's Baker, out of the way as a play was coming to the home plate. You say, what was that? David Bell was the guy ready to take out a three-year-old bat boy that was in the way during the World Series. That was David Bell. Thank God for J.T. Snow, because if that actually would have happened poorly, I don't know if David Bell's necessarily in the conversation for a manager just from a PR standpoint. So... Uh, kudos to J.T. Snow, but it is interesting to note that you know there'll be plenty of questions asked, I'm sure, already even, of David Bell about that situation. Because, man, that, that's a top 10 all-time sports memory. Maybe not in a, from a winning standpoint, but just kind of craziness and bizarre. Again, I'll say 2002, J.T. Snow, Darren uh, Baker, who's, who's Dusty Baker's uh, three-year-old son was the bat boy and he was running onto the field during a play at the plate and he was in the way and JT Snow had to come in and lift him up and take him out you got to check it out I've already talked too much about it but check it out if you don't know what I'm talking about that was David Bell and the and the other thing about David Bell and his playing career uh, was that he played under impressive guys he played under Reds fans may not love it but he played under uh, La Russa he, Reds fans will love this he played under Lou Pinella a uh, big part of the Reds' history, and uh, I guess kind of maybe a middle of the road with Dusty Baker, although Dusty Baker has an impressive resume. Uh, everywhere he's gone, he's made them better. He's a he's a top-notch guy. He didn't necessarily pull it off for the Reds, but uh, I, I would probably vouch for Dusty Baker. He's just probably not the guy I'd bring in for my ball club. Um, so let's get into now kind of his switch to coaching. So he got out of baseball around 2004, 2005, thought, you know, messed around for a little bit, worked for – couple organizations. Then he finally, in 2008, landed as the Reds' double-A manager for three years. Finally, in 2011, got promoted to the Reds' triple-A manager for one year. 
And right after that year, the Cubs hired him as the third base coach. Now, a third base coach isn't necessarily, you know, coaching in the cages and in the offseason. They're obviously all helping, but he's not the most hands. It's not the highest position uh, or close, really, in the the Major League Baseball coaching ranks. Um, but to get in with the Cubs, I think it was just a decision where he said, I got I to gotta do this. I got to be a part of this. So he did that for one year. Then he went to St. Louis that next year. So he obviously made an impression with the Cubs, got an assistant hitting jo- uh, coach job with the St. Louis Cardinals, and that, that's a big deal. You know, 2013 for the Cardinals, they were, they were rolling. So that was a big move. And then follow that, in 2015 he was hired to be the Cards bench coach. And a lot of people will tell you the bench coach is pretty much the – the backup manager, you know, he was, he was, you know, maybe in St. Louis, he wasn't necessarily second in line because that's a whole different organization, but the cards really liked him. Finally, he, I think in, in my opinion, it looks like he must've realized I got a really good shot with this coaching. Um, you know, I think he took a, a, or I know he took a bunch of interviews for head coaching jobs, um, around baseball, um, and he was just short on a bunch of them in 2017 to 2018. Um, and then finally in 2017, uh, that same year, a couple months later, he signed to be a part of the San Francisco player development, uh, which is a very big deal. It's a high analytics, high um, you know, prospect pipeline. Um, it's, again, like I said, uh, it's just a very analytical position, much different than what he'd been doing for the past 10 years. Uh, you know, he'd been on the bench. He had spent time around players, um, even after his playing days, he spent 10 years, you know, being in important coaching roles in the, in, you know, major league baseball, granted some of it in the minors, but important roles in the minors. Uh, so we got a ton of experience, just a ton. Um, so that, that, like I said at the beginning, it, these are all impressive things. Um, I, I don't know the guy. I've, I've gotten very little from his interviews. I think he's very PR smart. I think he knows what to say. I don't necessarily have a grasp on who he is yet. I think we'll probably pick that up pretty early with the Reds because they'll be in some interesting positions, whether that'll be trading people, whether that'll be you know, changing the rotation, whether that be bringing young guys up. I think we're going to find out very early who David Bell is as a manager um, because he's going to be put in a lot of these situations real quick. Um, so uh, I think to kind of sum it up, he's an old school guy, uh, obviously being with this you know, family situation with the Bells. Um, but he is mixed with analytics, and he has mentioned before even um, that that's going to be a big part of his management style. So I, I'm, I have to say I am optimistic. Um, there are some things that kind of scare me. I don't necessarily like people who are, are getting positions because of their family, but I have to say you can't say that with David Bell. As much as you might want to, you just can't. His, his, his resume isn't simply I'm related to these guys. He has done important things, and I think it is time for him to get a job in Major League Baseball, and hopefully that success um, you know, comes with the Reds. All right, let's have a little fun here real quick. We'll get into my top three uh, pitches. I always like to start with number three, and you work your way up. That's how you do it. If anyone's doing it differently, tell them they're wrong. So number three of my personal favorite pitches is the good old-fashioned changeup. You can't you can't go wrong with it unless you leave it hanging and it goes 450 feet. 
but that usually doesn't happen if you set it up well with your fastball. Uh, I think what's really cool about the changeup is it can be done so many different ways. There's, you know, people will try the a knuckle change, which is pretty insane. Uh, there's obviously the knuckle curve, but there's also a knuckle change. There's um, a bunch of different ways to hold it to just get that same slow rotation. Um, if you don't know what a changeup is, you're basically throwing your arm the same exact speed as a fastball, but you're letting the grip on the ball basically slow it down to home plate. So uh, it obviously you need to set it up with some fastballs so the guy is expecting a certain pace. And then if you break them something, you know, just nasty, as we like to say, uh, a changeup, uh, normally they're way out front. They can't react, and they're just swinging too early. So that's why I'll go with number three, the changeup. Number two I think would be surprising to a lot of people, and I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily fight for this, but my second favorite pitch in all, in all of baseball is the slider. The slider in the dirt. It works differently. Uh, lefties obviously love it because they can bring it in uh, to righties and take it away from lefties. Uh, or excuse me, that was the opposite way around. But there's just nothing better than a good slider. Having a, having a batter think a ball is coming right there because that, that, that last spin of the ball, you're just thinking it can't really tail off that end. And then, oh, it just falls off the table. Um, it, it's really just a beautiful pitch. Uh, and my personal number one favorite pitch, and I'll even give you someone to go with it. I probably should have gone with people to go with it for all the other pitches, but uh, I'll stick with it for the first one because number one is the most important. The best pitch in baseball is the two-seam fastball. If you don't know what a two-seam fastball is, you're basically holding the ball. Your fingers are directly on the laces, so you're not really touching any white. Uh, maybe a little bit on the outsides, but not really. And what it does is, for a right-hander, as I am, as you release it, you're putting more pressure with your middle finger as the ball is, comes out of your hand. And what that does, if anyone's a golfer, you'll know, when you're putting more pressure on the middle, the ball is then going to start to spin to the right a little bit. Not much, but a little bit. And what's perfect about that is when you when you set it up right with, uh, you know, most, most fastballs are four-seam, meaning you're crossing the seams four different times, two for each finger. So it kind of makes almost like a box. But a two-seam, you're going straight up the seams. And what's so perfect about the two-seam is you come right inside of the hitter. So the ball, if it's a righty, which, again, normally most hitters are righties, that ball's starting out right down the plate, and they're thinking, oh, it's right there. The last second, it just comes a little inside, and it, it's what we call jams them, gets them right on the hands. And there's just nothing better. And the guy I'll throw out with it that does it better than anybody, and he's one of the best in baseball, so he does a lot of things better than anybody, is Max Scherzer. When Max Scherzer throws his two-seam fastball, it is some of the nastiest stuff in baseball because he sets it up over and over with the four-seam, and it doesn't move. It's just four-seams are normally just going straight. They're just, they're just kind of on a straight trajectory, and you're really just throwing gas. You're really just trying to get the ball by him. Um, and what Scherzer does is he throws, you know, 98. So he throws these 98, 98, 98 four-seam fastballs, and they're all just going straight. And then what he'll do is it's just nasty. He comes in with this two-seam, and it comes inside, and at the last second it comes in on the hands. And honestly, you got no shot. If, he's, if he throws it right, you got no shot. Your hands are out front. You're either getting jammed. You're pretty much trying to just protect yourself at that point because you think the ball's going to hit you, although it's hitting the back of the catcher's mitt because he's setting you up. So that, that would be my favorite pitch in baseball, would be the two-seamed fastball. So that was my top three this week. Uh, hopefully once we get into the season, I'll get into a couple better tops. Uh, I think the offseason's kind of come rough, 
in terms of uh, having some fun. But I think once we get some baseball playing and even some spring training, we'll come up with some more fun stuff. But let's get into the more important stuff. Uh, we're already t almost 20 minutes in here. I, I don't want to talk you guys' ear off. Uh, but we got to get into the pitching. That's what the Reds are about this season. That's what is going to – that's what the record's going to come down to. So I'll start off with this. The most I've read, and David Bell's even commented on it, the rotation's going to go Gray, Sonny Gray, Alex Wood, Luis Castillo, Tanner O'Rourke, and Anthony DiScalfani. If it's up to me, I hate that. I hate that for a couple reasons. One, I would not put Gray, your guy that you're keeping here for four years, hopefully. He's got a four-year deal for $38 million. Three years with a team option in the last one. It's a beautiful deal for the Reds. Why put him in this pressure situation? People would say to me, well, he's the guy. He's the guy that the Reds want to be that number one. I couldn't agree with you more. Sonny Gray is going to be the guy that should be the number one, but that doesn't mean you have to start him there. That does not mean you have to start him on opening day and put a pressure on a guy who just got lit up in New York. In New York, after going – real quick, in 2014 and 2015 in uh, Oakland, his best year was 2015. He was 14-7 and seven with a 2.37 ERA. Excuse me, ERA. Uh, I mean, he was absolutely – Sick. He had an all. He went to the All Star that All Star game that year, and he was third, third in all in the American League in pitching, third in Cy Young voting. Then in 2016 and 2018, or excuse me, in 2000, excuse, 2016 he was finally traded the last year to the Yankees. So part of this year is messed up, but we'll stick with his final year. His final year, he went 11 and nine with a 5.69. ERA. That was last year. He got absolutely torched in Yankee Stadium. So you can see the yin-yang. I mean, the guy lit in 2015, he was third in the Cy Young. He pitched, he had a 2.73 ERA in Oakland. That's incredible. The guy has a bunch of talent. I just don't agree with putting him in that one spot. Um, but, uh, you know, Sonny Gray, uh, as I just mentioned a bunch, getting all worked up about putting him in that one hole. Um, he does have some impressive numbers. His baseline is, you know, right around three and a half for a career ERA, uh, a little bit above. But man, he really struggled in that hitter's ballpark in Yankee Stadium. When you look at those numbers, those numbers, you know, eleven and nine, five and eleven in Yankee Stadium. It is a band box, but so is Great American. Um, I think getting back with his college pitching coach. Um, I really hope he can work stuff out. And his biggest problem is these walks. You know, he just doesn't throw a bunch of strikes. And for Reds fans, you just you have instant thoughts of Homer again. And so I really don't like him going that one hole. But Sonny Gray is a guy that has phenomenal stuff. Um, even his first year pitching in the major leagues, uh, he was 14-10 and 10 with a three-point ERA. I mean, that was that was his first year. The guy has good stuff. He just needs to settle down, focus more on mechanics, and I think he'll be just fine. But I don't like the pressure the Reds put on him. The guy I would have put number one is Alex Wood. Alex Wood was an absolute stud. He was a second-round draft pick by the Braves, played for the Braves for about one and a half years, and then finally moved, got shipped to the Dodgers. Now, what's interesting with Alex Wood is he came over in that Dodgers deal. So the thing with Alex Wood is he's technically a free agent after this year. Um, 
I'll say this. I think the Reds are going to be the top guys waiting at the door if he has a great year to sign him because um, they're they're not only looking to keep this staff on anybody who's doing well, they're looking to pick up people. So if you already have a guy in your locker room that did well, I mean, you're going to pay him. So he, he's really got to step up this year, and I think he will. Um, you look at some of his numbers. He came into the league. He went 11-11. He went 12-12, and uh, about a 3.84 uh, ERA in those two years in Atlanta and L.A., and finally he went to L.A. He had a big injury in 2016. Um, you know, kind of had to sit out most of the year. Uh, and in 2017, he went 16-3 and three with a 2.72 ERA. This is only, a, a, this is, I guess, two years ago now, you can say. That was two years ago, 16-3, and three, 2.72. I mean, that's impressive. Last year, took a little bit of a step back. He went 9-7, and seven, 3.6 ERA. Uh, but you know that that's impressive stuff. So that's why uh, I think he'll be another interesting guy. Although I do wonder um, if the Reds start to slip and can't hold it, how quickly they look to trade him. Um, so he may not be here for a while. But he's got a really good shot uh, with a career 3.29 uh, ERA, uh, winning winning percentage above 50, uh, you know, 500 percent or 50 percent, whatever you want to say. Uh, so Alex Wood will be an interesting guy to watch uh, this year. Uh, a familiar face, uh, Luis Castillo, only 26 years old. I forgot to mention Sonny Gray, uh, who I mentioned at the top, is 29, and Alex Wood is 28. So our top three pitchers of our rotation are under 29 years old. That's that's pretty impressive and with impressive resume. So that's something that I think the Reds will keep an eye on. Uh, Castillo's locked up for another, you know, five, six years. There's nothing to worry about. Castillo came over a couple years ago in the Dan Straley deal. Um, so when the, uh, Cueto and Jay Bruce and Todd Frazier and all those guys got traded, uh, for nothing, <laughs> the guy we ended up getting back for was when we traded Dan Straley. Another little lovely fact for the Reds. Way to go. But anyway, uh, Castillo is Rookie year was really 2017 for the Reds. Uh, he went three and seven, but he had a great uh, ERA. As you know, as a Reds fan, these numbers aren't impressive, mostly because the Reds weren't impressive. But he went three and seven in his rookie year, and then last year he went ten and twelve. Uh, got kind of lit up last year. Uh, really couldn't throw strikes, um, and when he did, they were just hanging over the plate and pretty much got lit up. Uh, you know, third years for a lot of guys are, are important years to kind of see where they project. Um, but I, I still really like him. He's really got some amazing stuff. Um, so, so I expect some impressive numbers uh, for Luis Castillo. Uh, the fourth guy in the rotation will be Tanner Rourke, a guy they picked up um, from as a free agent. He spent uh, five and a half years with the Nationals. Uh, his most impressive season was really 2016. Um, and then after that, his, his kind of numbers have really declined, and the Reds really got him at a discount uh, this offseason because his numbers have really taken the dive for the past two years. Uh, but his best season, you could probably say, was 2016. He was 16-10 and 10 with a 2.83 ERA. Uh, you know, again, his career you know, winning percentage is above 500, uh, but lately he's really struggled, uh, struggled with the Nationals and obviously – they didn't want to re-sign him, and the Reds didn't have any starters, so they thought, why not Tanner Rourke? And then last, 
one with a familiar face, Anthony DiScafani, 28 years old. Um, been an interesting guy. You know, I think a lot of Reds fans really like him. Uh, I'm not sold. I am not sold yet uh, with a 27-28 and 28, uh, winning percentage or winning record, you could say, uh, losing record. Uh, but anyway, a 4.22 ERA. I mean, even in 2015, 2016. Now, 2016, before he had that uh, major surgery that he was out for half a year and a half for, um, you know, he had a good start to his year. He his, his ERA was 3.28, uh, but you know, it wasn't necessarily the most impressive uh, season, even even from that standpoint. So I always kind of push back on the Anthony Discofani love. You know, I don't know if if he's proven himself um, as much as my guy, who I would have uh, put in the rotation probably this year if it was up to me, which is Tyler Malley. I really think he's an impressive guy. Uh, but we'll we'll get into some bullpen stuff as the the year comes closer. Uh, but anyway, that that rounds up the rotation with Gray, Wood, Castillo, Rourke, and DiScafani. And to to kind of wrap it up, um, I, I said it last podcast, but it really is the truth for me. It all comes down to Sonny Gray. They're putting the pressure on him. They're giving him the spot. Um, you know, I I really think him. And, and Alex Wood, obviously, uh, if he can come in and step up as he as he kind of has to in, in a contract year for himself, you know, he's a free agent after this year. Uh, Alex Wood's really going to have to put up some some impressive numbers uh, to really uh, help the Reds kind of do well, because otherwise you're relying on some of the same guys. And as people saw last year, that 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 just isn't acceptable for winning. It's just not going to do it. And some of these guys we may trade if that's the case. So. Uh, which will lead me kind of into my next point, which is kind of around baseball, what's happening. I think the only story and the major story that's that's going on is uh, all these free agents that are still available. And, and I'll just run through some of the names. Um, you got Mike Moustakis, uh, Josh Harrison, which if you're from Cincinnati, you, you are familiar with. Um, he's still available. Marwin Gonzalez won a World Series for the Houston Astros, still doesn't have a job. Uh, Adam Jones played in Baltimore, phenomenal. Uh, Carlos Gonzalez, cargo, out uh, from Colorado all those years, still available. Some of the pitchers, Dallas Keuchel, who we talked with with the Reds, is signing. Uh, Clay Buckholtz is still out there. Gio Gonzalez, you know, not necessarily your one or two guys, but really solid pitchers are still available. And that's where I'll, I'll really get into this. The Reds are done. The Reds aren't doing anything. They've told you this whole offseason. They're betting on these moves they made with the Dodgers, and if they don't work, they're ready to flip them, and they're not willing to spend money. The only guys, the only guy, singular, that the Reds spent money on this offseason is Zach Duke. And now I'm not going to rip Zach Duke because that was a great signing for the Reds. Reds need some some bullpen specialties. Zach Duke comes in while he's a 5-5 with a 4.15 ERA. He is a career against lefties, 220 ground ball top every league to every year he's top tops the league in ground ball percentage and he gives up a home run once every 72 innings perfect for great american ballpark but that's the only guy they went out and paid for so the reds aren't doing anything they're not going to spend money they're they're this year for the reds is a trial year they're giving these guys one year and i hate to push it off another year but the idea is that the reds spend money in 2020. That is the idea. 
And in a weird way, the market is kind of falling into that. Like I just mentioned with these free agents, people aren't getting the money. You know, Machado, Harper, still not getting the money they want or expected. I think next year, if the idea is to start paying these guys in 2020, next year is is really the year to start uh, you know, looking to spend some money. You might be able to get some great discounts, um, get some pitchers, get some... So, so the Reds, you know, they're really... Um, they're in an interesting spot, and so when you look around the league and these free agents, I think it's pretty obvious the Reds aren't doing any of it. But anyway, that was uh, the Reds' pulse this week. Um, I appreciate you listening. Uh, we're on every week, uh, mostly Thursdays, but if it's not up on Thursday, check back on Friday because uh, we'll always put them up every Thursday or Friday. Uh, you can follow me. Uh, Brent Perlman at uh, BS from Brenty35 on Twitter. And uh, you can follow this podcast on Twitter also at, at Reds underscore Pulse on Twitter. Um, but if not, you can also follow me uh, through my anchor.fm uh, site. Um, I'm always posting up there. And soon I'll be up on the Pulse Podcast Network. So a big shout out to the Pulse Podcast Network. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you in a week. Peace. At the end of your message, press one.